0: jazz pianist jeffrey keezer a two-time grammy nominee has about 20 albums to his name as a band leader He's built a wonderful career by creating unusual, compelling music with a wide range of artists, from Diana Krall to Christian McBride and Sting, for example. He's toured all over the world playing with legends of jazz like Joshua Redman, Pat Metheny, Wayne Shorter. He's taught numerous master classes at schools and universities such as the Brubeck Institute, the Royal Academy of Music, the New School, the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz, which is now the Herbie Hancock Institute. Jeffrey and I sat down a few weeks ago to chat about his unique career. We discussed transcribing, his very first solo that he transcribed, how he collaborates with other artists, including pianists. He talks about his time with Art Blakey and Sting and his advice that he received from Miles Davis. Shares about his practice routine writing process, and advice he has for young musicians. We had a great time, he's really fun. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeffrey Kieser. The Playful Musician, I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Jeffrey Keezer, welcome to the Playful Musician. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I'm feeling very playful today, so that's good, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> that's awesome. Are you in New York City? I'm in uh, Westchester County, about 45 minutes north of the city, yeah okay on the hudson river
0: oh pretty nice. up here
1: today yeah lots yeah. of trees yeah
0: yeah i was reflecting that today's september 11th <laughs> mm-hmm. Indeed. and yeah just 20 years kind of hard to believe but also just the fact that new york has even in the last couple of years been through so much and there was flooding recently and like
1: yeah, 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 we did. We did have a ma- hurricane, uh, Ida, Ida I guess. Yeah. yeah, it came through here pretty, pretty hard. Yeah, do you we remember were, where we you... were? Uh, okay, Go ahead. you know, yeah, we, I'm just gonna say we were okay up here for the hurricane, oh, but, but, um, a lot of friends lost, musician friends lost some gear and got there, you know, because first floor, or basement, you know, apartments mm-hmm. or, or studio spaces, they got really hit hard. It's,
0: it's yeah, bit... crazy, yeah. Where were you 20 years ago, do you remember?
1: Yeah, I was actually in Northern California, um, staying at a friend's house, and, and we were just watching the news, and we just we yeah. thought the world was ending, like everyone, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's un- unbelievable, you know?
0: Crazy. And you, you've you spent a great deal of time in New York.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I, I moved here when I was 18 years old, um, went on the road with our Blakey, kind of right out of the gate, and yeah. lived here. Not... Uh, consistently for the last whatever 33 years or something <laughs> but but off and on and and, and it's where my, my wife and I have resettled recently you know mm. back up back here and yeah it's a great community I, I love it you know um, and it's it's uh, you know just just the the community of musicians the the energy uh, I, I lived in California for a long time but, uh, I miss the change of seasons. I really, I don't mind the winter cause you get fall and spring on either side of it and it's, it's cool. You know, it's all right.
0: Yeah. 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 How has the last 18 months
1: or so been for you? It's, it's been okay. Um, I, I teach piano at the Juilliard school and mm. also at William Patterson university in New Jersey. So, you know, the teaching has helped, you know, keep, you know keep food on the table and and you know doing some zoom lessons and mm-hmm. uh you know the occasional um the occasional live from home thing you know and, and gigs are starting to open up a little bit around here now the clubs are open right um some of them are still s- just streaming some are, are live audience so it's you know it's been all right
0: yeah
1: What's your the, te- i think the hardest the hardest part has been just being away from our family, my wife's family's all up in Canada, and we just haven't. Oh seen yeah, them you in, can't get up there in years, you know. So it's it's really yeah, it's really rough.
0: Yeah, I relate. My girlfriend's hasn't seen her folks in almost yeah. three years, so it's, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, um, the teaching you were doing was that? Were you doing like in person teaching, or was it a last mixture? year?
1: Last year was all remote. Yeah. Um, the students, the, the private lessons were remote, and the, the student ensembles were meeting in person, but I would be on Zoom, you know. <laughs> so I'd just be like Max Headroom, for those of us old enough to remember. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> in a box, you know, on a, right. on, a, on, a, on a music stand or something. And I actually conducted a couple of string uh, sessions that way, too. Oh, you know, wow. We'd get, we'd get the string section in the studio, and I was back home, and I would just be doing it like the you know the disembodied head on the on the music stand kind of thing wow but yeah it's but you know the technology that just even even if it already existed the the advancements that were made in some of the what you know ways that we were able to play together like the like dan tepfer doing the 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 jack trip thing right the jack trip stuff you know or or like uh jam kazam which is sort of like that or Mm -hmm. um I can't remember what it's called but we were using it to we, I mean, we mixed a couple of albums that way it's um oh wow where, where it connects from your computer over ethernet right to the studio and you're listening to the mix as it's happening and you can kind of you know in high definition and, and you can kind of work that way so we were able to figure out how to do a lot of things remotely so yeah i mean at least the technology is there and you know, it, I want to say if it ever happens, it's still happening, but if it ever gets worse where we have to go back to being completely remote, we'll at least be equipped to do it, you know? Yeah.
0: But you were kind of a step ahead. I mean, you had been doing online. Like, I remember I even bought a little course of yours that you had put up, like, years ago. So you you were kind of on the forefront of that a little bit, it seems.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not, like... <laughs> definitely not on the forefront of technology i don't i still can't even figure my my teenage son looks at me fiddling with my iphone is like how did you not know that about that was like a like an iphone one feature how did you not know about that you know um right but uh i have i have some piano courses up on open studio jazz Mm -hmm. um which is founded by the pianist peter martin and uh he's got a really excellent faculty on there christian mcbride's on there and and uh you know fred hirsch has a new course on there on piano Um, Mm a bunch of great 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 cats and so that that was already in place but that's um that's not a interactive thing as much it's it's a course that you watch and study along you know follow along with yeah yeah yeah
0: those are great really high quality
1: yeah they've got a great platform that's i I went with them because they're just like it's to me the best platform out here right now for online jazz lessons, you know. Right. Very cool. Plug plug ad <laughs> advertise. <laughs> Open
0: Studio. What's what's the URL? It's Open Studio Open
1: Jazz. Open I believe.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was looking at the roster. There's a lot of good stuff and there's a lot of cool little snippets on YouTube. Yeah. Of you. I was watching the one on um, transcribing think that was a I don't know when that one was but that was really that was pretty cool you doing all the different there was some Bud Powell
1: solo yeah I think <laughs> I, I used uh, I used Parisian thoroughfare yeah you know, with, uh, <laughs> kind of yeah, botching yeah. it but that's the idea but but the idea that when you transcribe something as, as you know to use that as a learning to I mean that's that's I think the best way to learn how to play this vocabulary of this mm. music we play um, is to copy what came before but then you have to go some somewhere with it you can't just get up <laughs> on stage and just play here's Bud Powell like number 105 now I'm gonna go to Charlie Parker like number seven to cut John Coltrane like number 40 some people do that right but <laughs> yeah I've certainly been guilty of, you know, Phineas Newborn, lick Number Thirty-Three, once or, you know, <laughs> sure. in a while. But, um, y- you know, how to take that information and transform it and and get it into your own playing, just right. like when you learn to speak your native language, you know, you you pick it up just by osmosis from your your primary caregivers or your, you know, your mm. classmates or friends or whoever, and then as you get older you start going well you know what i just read this really cool phrase in this book let me see how i can work this in and you don't just sit down at the table and go da da da, da, da. and you just say some phrase you know you find you figure right. out a way to give context to it and that's the whole point of that lesson is is giving right. context to the information that you transcribe you know yeah. and lift so yeah do you remember
0: what solo you first transcribed
1: yeah it was Thelonious Monk blue monk uh the piano solo from a live in tokyo record that i checked out from the library my hometown eau claire wisconsin Mm -hmm. had a public library still does and a pretty good jazz record collection like lps you could go in there and just check out records and i did that and that's how i probably learned 80 percent of the music i learned as a kid you know
0: so you just play along with the record
1: play along with it um what i would do is so we're talking about the 80s so i would <laughs> right. i would tape it i you know sure on a cassette put it on cassette and cassettes are fantastic really still i think the best technology for tra- doing transcriptions <laughs> because you could really cue them up exactly you mm-hmm. know you just rewind it like because they're real to real tapes right brruh, you know yeah and and you're like let me get back me that little phrase and there was no Uh, No technology like I mean YouTube now you can you can slow it down I didn't even know this existed someone showed right showed me this the other day learning all kinds of things from my (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful millennial students that know all this stuff, you know, right and uh, or post-millennial perhaps at this point, but Mm. um You know, you can slow that but there was no slowing the tempo down You just had to learn like everything I learned by ear. I learned at full speed So if I was transcribing, you know something blazing john coltrane solo i just had to figure out you know and you know maybe i got it 85 90 percent right i probably missed a few notes in there that if i had the technology to slow it down i could oh that's what it is you know yeah. but funny story about that whole process so i had this album uh it was the the, the playboy jazz festival at the hollywood mm-hmm. bowl and it was a double album with a lot of different bands on it, but one of the bands on there was Weather Report, which was at the time my favorite band in the world. I was like the biggest, hugest Weather Report fan. And how old were you? Christian McBride and I have competitions over who's the bigger <laughs> Weather Report fan. You know, oh yeah, well can you sing, you know, can you sing Wayne's solo from, you know, the man in the green shirt? You know, oh yeah, well can you know but um, right. you know, we're talking about like 14, 15, okay. you know, age. Yeah. So I had this record and there's a song by Weather Report called Volcano for Hire. Um, and it's an up-tempo, you mm-hmm. know, funky, you know, fusion tune from their album called Weather Report. The second album that was just called Weather Report from 1982, right? right? right. And so this is a live version, Omar Hakim, Victor Bailey, mm. Jorge Rossi. No, sorry, not Jorge Rossi. Um, Jorge, I'm sorry, I can't think of the percussionist name right now. But um, and Wayne and Joe and they're playing the live version of this and when it gets to the keyboard solo You know Zao he starts doing this blazing You know kind of a minor pentatonic stuff and so I lifted I, I go okay I gotta figure out what that is so I transcribed to learn how to play it, you know mm-hmm. both hands you kind of need two hands to play it and years later YouTube happens. So I see on YouTube, oh my god, that's that exact performance. I'm gonna watch it and see how he does this solo. And here comes the colour, okay. Wow man, it's gonna be killing. Joe Zalono puts his hand on the piano and hits the arpeggiator button. I mean on the on the synth. <laughs> and he hits he hits the arpeggiator button and he's kinda of moving shapes around like this and switching the octave key. No. So it was a fully automated solo that he took, but what's kind of cool about it, it was he didn't he wasn't afraid to use technology, for the greater purpose of just making music. You know, I like, okay right. if I can make some music, this way that's cool too. You know, right. And of course he would tell you, yeah, I can play. I mean, he probably could actually play. Yeah, I can do that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> big macho, blustery guy that he was. You know, yeah. yeah. You got to learn how to play the bass line with the left hand and the you know, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> you know that ridiculous bassline that Jaco plays on there. Yeah. I said, "Is that what you did?" Yeah, of course, that's what I did. You know. <laughs> <laughs> did you? You so you met? You met Joe I, I got to, yeah, I got to meet him a couple times, and and he actually complimented me on my Rhodes sound. One time, he said, I love your road sound. I said, well, thank you. I basically stole it from you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I had it running through like an MXR phaser and I had the wah-wah pedal like fully open. So it was that real bright, you know, that kind -hmm. of sound he would get. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But And you like, this is crazy to me, but you like started programming. Like you started like messing around with synthesizers when you were like, Tiny. like Yeah, you were young, super it, young.
1: Yeah, it was actually my first instrument, at ARP twenty six hundred. <laughs> right. Um, because what happened was in the town I grew up in, my dad taught percussion at the University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire, mm-hmm. and they had in the music department they had an electronic music lab, and it was a tiny room, like a really, really little room. And I can still remember the smell of that room because it had that kind of ozone smell from all the right. electric stuff in there. <laughs> and uh, and there was a the smell yeah. of ozone and the smell of like reel to reel tapes. Mm. There was a certain kind of smell that the tape had. Yeah. You know? And um, he had a student of his teach me how to program this synth because dad knew I was interested in synthesizers. I had, well, he had records from that era. So we're talking 1975, 76. Return to Forever, you know, Mm -hmm. Chick Korea, The Leprechaun, Weather Reports, Black Market, and Heavy Weather, and that was stuff I was really loved and was really into. And also, the Wendy Carlos switched on Bach. Oh, right. I had that. Um, And I was also really into movies like Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which had synthesizers and laser battles and like a lot of (laughs) electronically created sound effects in them. So he's like, I mean, you know, maybe you can teach this kid how to make some of those sounds. So a student of his taught me how to program the 2600, we were making tapes and we got into overdubbing. I learned about how making, you know, making four track tapes, you know, and, 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 uh, we started out doing things like laser battles and just kind of noodling and making weird sounds. And over about a year and a half, and I listened back to some of those tapes, I was able to trace my, development as a kid I mean I, I've got a young kid now so I can kind of see where you know light bulbs and switches are turning on and things right, right. and and by the end of the, the year and a half I, we were doing Bach three-part inventions and stuff. Wow like so I was kind of learning to play not probably probably not playing it very well but I was at least the idea of it you know mm-hmm. and um, and that was what uh, what made the piano teacher at the university there, say to my dad you know you should really get this kid some piano lessons because this the synthesizer was keyboard controlled yeah you know, early modular synthesizer but i wasn't really playing the keyboard properly <laughs> didn't really know how to play it you know right so he said you should get this kid some piano lessons so that's really essentially why i'm a piano player but also i was interested in playing drums so my first kind of real instrument instrument other than that was was the drum set because my dad was a drummer and he'd have drums mm-hmm. set up around the house and I. you know, learn to play and stuff. But um, I like to compose my own music.
2: Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, So the piano was a more natural, just a a medium to write music on. Right. You know, so um, and then when I got into kind of high school, age 14, 15, I really got into jazz and um, started doing gigs with my dad around town, little gigs. (laughs) And of course, I couldn't, he played drums, so I had to play yeah. something else. <laughs> so I played piano and we played, we played, we had actually like a little steady gig in a hotel mm. where we played two or three nights a week and we could play whatever we wanted because nobody was really listening. So that's where I learned all my real book tunes. I had an original, like original, real original book, real book right, you right. know, and um, learned the whole repertoire and that's just kind of how I got into it, you know? Wow.
0: Wow. that But you were like, that was really early. Like you were young, young when you got into all that, like the kindergarten. Is that right?
1: Yeah. The, the, so there's, the, the, <laughs> the, the, there's this river, the campus is, it's really pretty campus, Eau Claire, mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And, and there's a river that runs between the two sides of the campus. And so my elementary school was on one side of the river and the music building was on the other side of the river. And, I, and there's this footbridge that crosses over I just, I remember as a tiny kid, like I'd get out of kindergarten and I would walk. You could do this in the seventies. People right. would just let their kids walk around <laughs> right. town. I'd get out of school and I'd walk across the river and I knew the route, you know, and it was, I do it every day and I'd, I'd go over and go to my dad's office and, and you know, um, it was, it was cool. a cool thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Both of your parents were musical. Is that right?
1: Yeah. My mom played French horn, um, and taught, Uh, french horn at home and piano and some voice lessons as well and dad dad was a drummer my Mm -hmm. mom was the classical side and dad was the jazz side so between the two of them they had a pretty cool record collection so i grew up you know listening to also beethoven symphonies and bach organ and you know all the stuff chopin yeah Um, and and dad used to check out study scores they were Calmus, I guess, was the brand. Yeah, but they were right. Calmus. Little miniature scores you could get of these symphonies and things, mm-hmm. and he'd bring them home, check them up from the music library, and bring them yeah. home. And I And they would have arrows pointing to whenever a theme, you know, here's here's the entrance of you know the theme, or here's the secondary theme, and they were they yeah. were very well notated in that way, so you could really learn a lot just That's watching so along. Cool. Yeah.
0: And you were writing from an early, you, know, you were composing from an early age yeah. too. Yeah trying to (laughs) (laughs) and then you wrote so well I want to talk about our Blakey a little bit because you wrote for that band like that was like a year you were with the that band for like a year maybe a little more is that right it was
1: yeah just a just a year roughly um September 1989 to October 1990 yeah and it passed I just, just got in there just in, you know, the tail end of it, but it was great. I really, I'm, I'm so grateful to have had that experience and and everybody was writing, everybody in the band was writing for the band, um, sometimes under duress, (laughs) Art Art called (laughs) up one time. It was a Tuesday and he goes, yeah, we're going in the studio on uh, my, my Blakey voice is a lot like my Joe Zalino voice. (laughs) Art's was just a little bit more gravelly. He says, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going in the studio on Thursday. I said we are.
3: Yeah, meet me at Rudy
1: Van Gelder's at noon. That okay? What are we gonna play? You know? He's like, I don't know. You got some tunes, don't you? You know? <laughs> so everybody in the band was just like, ah, we got to come up with music. So we're all just scrambling to write something. Um, wow. But you, but he was interested. He always wanted to keep the music going forward. He wanted to have new music, you know, new material. <laughs> I did a couple of originals for the band. I also did an arrangement of. The song Raincheck the Billy Strayhorn tune mm-hmm. um, that we were playing on the gig and and his pr- his process for learning new music he didn't read music he just played by ear um, which is great there's no you know right. it's fine yeah. um, many many of the greatest jazz musicians have played by ear sure um, yeah. and sometimes it's almost an advantage in a way you I think you think <laughs> of music differently because I found it when I'm reading music, reading somebody's tune, or reading charts, I can only go so far with hmm. the music. But once I'm committed to memory, I can get... I get out of my head more, you know? Okay. And and, and I can I feel like I play much, much better once I have it have it memorized. You're free. Right. The, the, the improvisation is just better. It's freer, it's looser, it's, it flows better, everything, you know? When um, you, tra- when you yeah.
0: transcribe... Do you write it out or do you just
1: learn it by ear and then maybe write it out later on the same kind of thread? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I do some of each. I tended to write things out um, because I wanted to be able to come back and look at it later. Mm -hmm. And also writing it out kind of helped me think about how what does this look like? what does it look like rhythmically like what well, I can hear it but what is it you know is this is this phrase going across the bar line or is it mm. you know here's the chord you know if it's this but the piano but but the right hand is going something like that you're going okay what is that I'm 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 really I'm theoretical in that way I want to know what's mm-hmm. happening so that right. way kind of that that helps me to to figure out what's going on but um Everybody learns differently, obviously, you know, and some, and some people do better just by doing it by ear. So.
0: Here's Jeffrey playing a mashup of his of All the Things You Are and Serpentine Fire. So yeah, we were talking about transcribing and writing out um, versus just learning by ear and it's something that's really intriguing to me because I was always a learn by ear yeah. kind of person and then recently I'm kind of shifting the other way for some of the reasons you were talking about, like being able to see it and really digest it in a different way. You know, visually, I mean, there's different kind of learners, right? or visual, but I do feel like... There's a benefit in both ways. Um,
1: Definitely. Do you yeah, have yeah. a preference with your students or no? No, I mean, everyone learns differently, you know. I mean, I have I have students that are more ear players, it's, it's, you know. Um, but ultimately, we play by ear. I mean, the music yeah. we play is, <laughs> is that. So if that's a faster way into it, then, you know, if you can hear it and, you know, and play it, and, and and be able to identify it. Just, I mean, just, the the key is just knowing what you're doing, right? Right. I mean, I hear interviews with Charlie Parker. There's there's one or two of them out floating out there. I think there's one where he's talking to Paul Desmond. Paul Desmond, he, yeah. And he's talking about learning from books. You know, Charlie Parker was an exceptionally literate musician, mm-hmm. and you know, he practiced out of classical saxophone books, and 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 you know, and etudes and this and that. Um, and so that, you know, for him that worked, but obviously he could hear around the corner too. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, musician, amazing ears. I mean, I've met musicians like that. Actually one of my early teachers, a saxophonist and keyboard piano player, he lives in Ashland and his name is Mike Van Ice. And he played with, uh, Robert Cray, he played mm-hmm. piano with Robert Cray for a long time, and I used to come to my lessons with him. And he would, I would throw on a record of something he had never heard before, and we, after one listen, we'd go back through, and I'm working on the transcription, and he would just be able to play along with it, like, yeah, almost instantly, which to me was like magic. It was like, how is that possible? But I, now as a, as I get older, I understand because you have so much vocabulary. It's like, oh yeah, I get what's happening there. I get mm-hmm. the gist, you know, I'm getting 80% of the gist of what this person is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and the rest is um I can fill in. And that's that's something else I wanted to ask you about. It's like those you know, in in the 80s and such when we didn't have the slowdown stuff, it's harder like I transcribe a lot of uh cannonball and there's some things that are just more like gestures that it's like mm-hmm. it doesn't even really matter that you get the whole every single note or like he blurs this or he like you know ghosts that
1: um, that's right yeah yeah that that happens especially if you're doing horn players and, and that's a challenge as a pianist we our notes are fixed I mean <laughs> right
3: <laughs>
1: and you're trying to approximate bent you know or, you know vocal sorts of things bent notes and all that. I mean I was working on a Charlie Parker solo one time, you know, and and he went uh uh So So this is this is there's one, two, three, four. There's only four notes here. Right. But he played five in this space. In the space of a minor third. He he went, he da da Da, 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 right. Da, right and you're going how do you you can't do that on the piano you know right. <laughs> so you just have to approximate it somehow yeah yeah that's why i loved
0: i love transcribing pianists because it's so clear it's like oh yeah it's so like <laughs> yeah well, what you see is what you get <laughs> right um i wanted to ask you about like i'm a single note player and um and you're not, obviously. But, and you're not. <laughs> and you're, <laughs> well, you are. You're both, right? Like, you do both. So um, yeah. I'm just curious, like, if 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 a single note player wanted to start learning piano, I mean, I think it's valuable, but um, where where would you recommend someone to start if they were like, okay, you know, I, I want to start learning how to play chords or I just want to be able to sit down with a, a lead sheet and start making more sense of like voice leading kind of things like do you ever work with um horn players as students and and lead them towards piano
1: uh yeah although not not so much i don't teach piano for non-pianists um Mm -hmm. but so usually when i work with horn players they 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 usually come to me because they want to learn more about harmony sort of in general right um and but I'll have them stay on their horn. Okay. Uh, and I'll just, you know, I might just say like, okay, I'll play a chord. You know, play me the scale that goes with that chord, or play me, play me all the notes in the chord, or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. or I, or tell me what they are, identify them. You know. Right. Or um. Y- you know, or or sometimes we'll do things like chords with sort of extended notes on them, like something like that, you know, and say, okay, grab, you know, play those arpeggiate all that up and down your horn or something like that. Right. Um, but there, there are a lot of great books out there. There's, there's a book that I usually direct people to and it's called, and, and, and again, I'm not doing a very good ad for it cause I can't remember the exact <laughs> name of it, but it's, it's something like, um, jazz piano voicings for the non pianist mm-hmm. or something like that. Okay. And, um, it's written by a guy who's not a piano player but it's actually an excellent piano book. Piano players wanting to learn how to play voicings. It's a good book, you know, to learn from, but there's so many of those out there.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, you can go to the Jamie Abersold website and grab a half a dozen, you know, sort of beginning jazz piano voicing books and, and they're all good. Right. Um, yeah. You know, or, or just listen to, um, listen to the way Wynton Kelly comps, you know, cause he, he, he comps with really clear, clear voicings that are not overly complicated, is not a lot of clusters, you know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't send someone directly to Art Tatum or <laughs> Bill Evans, you know, or Oscar Peterson like saying, "Okay, here you go. You know, good luck." Yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I've been dabbling in it just cuz I it gives me another perspective on the on the harmonies and the voice leading to be able to see it on the keyboard rather than thinking about it in a a linear fashion
1: yeah i mean it's it's good for everyone to learn some piano i think whatever instrument you play you know because the piano is a great tool even if you're not trying to like shred on the piano it's a great tool for just for writing composing arranging just seeing literally spelling out harmony because there's only one position on the keyboard for any one note even guitar there's a few, you know, at least a few different ways to play most of the notes on the, on the guitar, but piano is literally just what it is. 88 notes. Right. They're there, you know, and they're vertical. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's also very visual. I like being able
0: to see like on a saxophone that I can't see my hands unless I play in front of a mirror, but it's sometimes nice to be able to really see have the visual cue of, like, oh, here's all the notes, and here's how it's yeah. moving voice-wise. Um,
1: what makes me mad is the horn players that are so damn good at piano, like Nicholas Payton. <laughs> <laughs> this cat, you know, Terrence Blanchard, man, Joshua mm-hmm. Redman, yeah. Christian McBride, they all play excellent piano. That's awesome. And it's just not fair. Yeah, I heard someone say, like, <laughs> Jack Jack Dejeuner is also, like, a... Dijonet, yeah, Jack Dijonet. sorry. He plays great a, piano, too, yeah.
0: Yeah. Like with these people, you wouldn't expect to sit down and like,
1: like, 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 be able to play a gig on the instrument. Yeah, really, really sound great. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No fair. What is it like? Is do
0: you find it challenging playing with another pianist or or another chordal instrument? I mean, you've done a lot of work with like Joe Locke, for example. Yeah. Um, What are the challenges? Yeah, on vibes. Yeah.
1: Um, I love it. I actually love playing with other pianists, uh, guitarists, vibes. Um, I just did a new album that's in the can. I, I don't have anything to play yet cause it hasn't been mixed, but, um, it's, it's my, I guess my COVID album. Okay. <laughs> since everyone is doing one or two or three. Right. Um, this is the one that is sort of emerged for me out of the last couple of years. And it's, um, it features Shedrick Mitchell on organ. Oh, wow. I said, what do I want to do when I go to the studio? I don't know. I, I just want to have fun. I want to call some friends and just play some damn music and have a good time. <laughs> and I love Shedrick's playing. I've been doing writing for him. I've been doing quite a bunch of string writing oh, fun. Um, for his projects and things that he's producing, as well as for the Baylor's, the Baylor project. Mm-hmm. I wrote uh, a couple string charts on their new record. Um, and I thought, but, you know, I love, I just want to play. So I, I called, <laughs> uh, called up Shedrick. And uh, Ron Blake and uh, Kendrick Scott mm. on drums and 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 Richie Goods on bass, and a young guitarist from Juilliard that goes to Juilliard, and Ay- Ayushi Karnick. And mm-hmm. we just we just made an album, so I'm I'm kind of excited to get that out in the world soon.
0: Yeah, is that coming this year, do you think, or next year?
1: What is it, September? Yeah, let's say yeah. next year,
0: yeah, <laughs> 2022. Do you I mean, when you're playing with someone like Joe Locke or if you're playing with another pianist, do you guys do you discuss the roles much or is it pretty intuitive at this point like okay, I'm not going to like if you're if a horn player is soloing, do you guys kind of look at each other and go okay, you're going to comp, I'm going to
1: lay out or how does that work? Uh, we just listen. And and so for me playing with another pianist or keyboard a chordal instrument of some kind isn't mm-hmm. fundamentally different from playing with a horn or a vocal or anybody else it's um, you use the same two ears and <laughs> It's really you just have to you just have to try to make it work, you know, right? I mean with with another piano Okay, sonically, you know, you kind of want to stay out of each other's way like if you're gonna if I hear the other piano player playing in the middle I might go to the outsides of right. the keyboard or I might not play all the same time when they're playing or if they're playing big, thick chords, I might just play one note, you know, just to try to just keep everything in balance is the idea. Mm, Yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to be in a band with four piano players. (laughs) It was called the contemporary (laughs) piano ensemble and it was a project that James Williams put together Mm. and, and the pianists in the band were James Williams, Mulgrew Miller, Harold Mayburn, occasionally Donald Brown was the fifth and myself. All guys from Memphis, except for me. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, sadly, the only two people still alive from the band are Donald Brown and myself. Right. Uh, but wow. we would play all four. We had four pianos on stage. At the same and, time. Uh, yeah. And plus bass and drums. And we had arrangements that we had written for the group. And there's an album out there called The Key Players. The group was called The Contemporary Piano Ensemble. But that I was a really unique experience. I bet. I bet. And sometimes we got in each other's way and sometimes it worked. It you know, it wasn't <laughs> like absolutely perfect all the time, but it was c- cool. It was right. super cool and just being around those those guys, those personalities and just the the amount of music that they know collectively is like it's mind-boggling. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Wow.
0: And they you guys played gigs, so like you had yeah. four pianos on
1: stage. We had a couple of tours. They were put together by John Poses in Columbia, Missouri. We always swing uh, agency, and, okay. and he, he organized with Yamaha pianos. They, they actually gave us four matching C7 pianos that we put wow. on a truck every night. Well, we didn't. Some piano <laughs> movers <laughs> put them <laughs> on a truck every night, drove them to the next town, and we rode a tour bus, and we did a couple of tours that were pretty good. you know? Wow. That's amazing. amazing. It really was once-in-a-lifetime thing.
0: Yeah. What's it like playing um, with Joe Locke? You guys have done several things together, right?
1: He's another guy that plays piano really well. <laughs> it's really not fair out here, man. <laughs> um, no, Joe's, Joe's amazing. I, I love Joe. I met Joe, and right when I moved to New York, I was playing with the Mingus Big Band, Mingus Dynasty Big Band. Oh, fun. And, and he was the vibraphonist. And then we worked together in Marvin Smitty Smith's group at the Village Vanguard in like 1995, mm-hmm. and then um, I got a little small record deal with this Japanese label called 88s. They were they were a little imprint on Sony, and um, they were they said, "What do you guys? What do you want to do?" And I said, "I I would love to." They said, "We want you to make a quartet record," and I and I said, "Great, I want to play with Joe Locke," and they were saying, "Well, we were thinking maybe trumpet or saxophone." <laughs> I said, I said, you know, how about Chris Potter or you know somebody? I said, yeah, they're all great, but I want to play with Joe Locke. So, <laughs> we ended up making four albums together as as a group. Mm. Uh yeah. Joe Locke, Jeffrey Keyser group, and um, and I love playing duet with him. Uh, actually, we're playing duet, we're playing duet in New York City at Mesro on September, th- October thirtieth. Okay, October thirtieth, we're gonna be there playing duo. That's so awesome. That's, it's gonna be super fun.
0: Yeah. What's it like with Christian? Like I, I, playing with such an amazing bass player that that must be a thrill.
1: Yeah. You know, well, definitely. You know, he's he's someone who is equally adept at straight ahead, at, at upright bass, and electric. Mm-hmm. And he's the same generation as me. We're like a year apart. Mm-hmm. So we grew up listening to all the same stuff, mostly. Yeah, he was from Philly, so he probably heard <laughs> some things I didn't. But right, um, you know, we g- we generally have the same vocabulary and the same love of the same music. Um, he knows so much music; he's mm. got a photographic memory, you know. For so, he's a guy like you were talking about your friend who can tr- who tr- right. basically can hear things once and. Play it from memory. Christian is like that. I'm not like that at all.
2: Yeah. But he is.
1: He he remembers every solo on every record he ever played on. Wow. Um, you know it it, it's 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 pretty stunning. So no, he's he's super fun to play with because it's like we just we just get right into it. We're we're speaking the same language and it's it's we're family. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you both have played with
1: with Sting. You guys have that in common. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He was in Sting's band, uh, actually, on September 11th. Right. Yeah, that that video is amazing. That that, that concert, Chris that Bodie. album is from that 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 uh, All This Time album that he's on yeah. is from from that night. Yeah. And uh, I played with well, I've played with him off and on. Um, I played with Sting with Chris Bodie
2: mm-hmm.
1: quite a, quite a bit, and and also recorded. I, I played on the new the, the Sting and Shaggy record that came out last right. year. Right, what was that like? It was, I mean, just went into the studio for a day, and I probably spent half a day in there. And mm-hmm. they used maybe a little bit of what <laughs> I did. You never know. It's it was, yeah. you, know, you hear the stories about how Steely Dan was. You know, you just go in there and you you just you never know what it's going to be at the end. But it was fun. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did you play? Have you played gigs with Sting? Did you go on tour at all with him?
1: Uh, with with Chris Bodie's band with Chris so Bodie's band like okay. yeah we were kind of like the opening band and then Sting would come out and play with us and we'd do a full sting show with with our band you know Wow with him yeah
0: that's crazy And you've played I mean the list of people you played with oh my gosh like Wayne
1: shorter <laughs> yeah that he like, Wayne, Wayne Shorter is my number one musical and human hero yeah. Yeah. Why? He's, what? Why um, is that? I mean, I, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to put into words exactly how to to quantify it. But, but I mean, musically, you know, I, again, like I said, I, I grew up massive Weather Report fan. But always my favorite Weather Report tunes were Wayne's tunes. Mm-hmm. And 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 then when I heard Atlantis, the album that came out, his first solo album, not his first solo album, but the first right. solo album sort of towards the end of post-Weather Report, I guess, or, or right at the end of Weather Report. That record absolutely blew my mind. That's still my Desert Island record. <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm forgetful. Like I would go to a Desert Island with a crate full of albums and no record player. I would <laughs> be sitting there like, <laughs> I don't hilarious. know. I've got the albums, but nothing to spin them on. Um, maybe a coconut, you know? Right. How did you meet him? I met Wayne. Actually, I was playing with Art Blakey. And the first big gig I started with Art at Sweet Basil in New York, a club that was on Seventh Avenue. Um, but my first, like, sort of really big gig, big concert with Art was at uh, in Leverkusen, Leverkusen, Germany, mm-hmm. which is cl- like Cologne.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was it was Art's 70th birthday concert, and it's actually on YouTube. Some of it you can see it, but oh, fun! You know they had our band, our little <laughs> funny. You know, motley crew of guys we had, and then all these alumni of Art's band. So, I was I found myself on stage with Freddie Hubbard and mm. Jackie McLean and Wayne Shorter and Benny Golson, and, and Roy Haynes was playing like on a second drum kit. Walter Davis Jr. was playing on a second piano, mm. and it was like so many here, Curtis Fuller. Yeah. Um, so many heroes of mine people that i was listening to and transcribing and really worshiping you know yeah. all of a sudden they're wow i'm, I'm playing with these guys so I, I met wayne there and then um years later and i sort of would call him every few years or so how you doing you know we talk about yeah. something and then um in 2012 wayne's group was scheduled to play the hollywood bull the playboy jazz fest and um, they, Danilo had broken his ankle. He was he was in Panama, I think, oh, no. and he had injured himself, and so he couldn't travel for a, a week or two. So they needed a pianist to fill in for a few gigs. So I, I got the call. Wow. John Patitucci and Brian Blade recommended me, and it was incredible. It was a career high for me, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was something I felt like I've been pr- preparing for my whole life. Sure. You know. Um, and when it, you know, and, and Wayne was so gracious. He, you know, he calls me up and he's like, you know, we can just play free for an hour. I mean, you know, whatever we can just do what, you know, do you know any of my tunes? I'm like, Wayne, I know all of your tunes. <laughs> and I, I didn't say that to be arrogant. I would just been like, I, I respect your music right. so much. Like, I, I love your music so much, man. I've I've been, I've spent my whole life learning your music, man. So I'm ready for this, whatever you, you call it, we, I got it, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was really, really cool. You yeah and to be like? in the sound of, well to yeah. be in the sound of that quartet which was I mean that quartet with Danilo that's such an established just really iconic contemporary group jazz group yeah. you know yeah. and to kind of have to step into that you know a few other piano players have, have done it too Jason Moran has subbed in the group and I, and I don't know who else but um, it's not an easy gig to step into because it's so much is unscripted you know <laughs> It's really just like, ah, and Wayne doesn't, he doesn't write tune lists or anything. He just starts to play and he might go, you know, on the soprano. And you got to know that that's, that's Joyrider, <laughs> you know, and, right. and that's it. Like, that's all he'll play, you know? Wow. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm going, okay, I think I, I, think I recognize a quick flip, flip, flip through the music. I made charts for everything. I wasn't about to try to sure. memorize everything. I didn't have enough time. Um, but uh, um, it was, okay, the, the closest analogy I can think of is I remember when the first Star Wars prequel came out, the one that Ewan McGregor was in. Right, right. Awful movie. But I remember <laughs> reading an interview with him where he said, you know, he got on the set the first day and he's wearing the Jedi robes, and he's holding a lightsaber in his hand, and he looks over there, and he sees R2-D2, you know, on the other side right. of the soundstage, and he goes, holy shit, I'm in Star Wars, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: That's what I felt like. Right. Yeah. You're, you're sitting on stage at the Hollywood Bowl, and there's Wayne oh, yeah. Shorter.
1: Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and the Hollywood Bowl, it, you know, if you've ever played the... or no, like, been to the Playboy Jazz Buffalo, you're on a rotating stage, so what you, see, what you see from the audience is like a half circle. A stage is like a half circle with the band set up. And on the other side of that circle, on the other side of the curtain, is the other band that's getting ready to play next. And that's how they keep everything on time. They have a big red digital clock, and you get 45 minutes. At 45 minutes, whether you're still playing or not, they spin you around. They spin. <laughs> yeah. So as we're, we're backstage on, on, the, on the, the, you know, the unseen side of the stage, as we start spinning around, I see Herbie Hancock standing at the side of the stage and Dave Holland and a few other people. Uh-huh. And I see Herbie, and I go, I'm like, man, you want to come out here? <laughs> like, <laughs> you help should me be out, here. out, man. Come on, come on, help me out. He's like, no, you got it. you know.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's funny. What an amazing experience.
1: Yeah, yeah it really was. It really was. And he was yeah. very, you know, just super, super cool. But he says to me... Um, he calls me into the dressing room the second gig was in ottawa and he calls me into the trailer after the gig and he says uh and wayne he he sometimes he gestures a lot he doesn't really say words sometimes he'll just kind of like wave his hands in the air to be mm-hmm. to substitute for some words you know <laughs> yeah and, and he kind of goes he goes yeah you know that thing and i know this is an audio podcast so i'm trying sure, to describe sure. what he's doing yeah. So he, yeah that thing and he kind of like wiggles his right hand like he's playing the piano he's making like the piano fingers mm-hmm. kind of gliding up and down on the keyboard he goes yeah that thing you know you could do this and he 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 makes like an air chord and then wiggles his left hand like a mirror image of what he was just doing before uh-huh. he's like yeah you know and he points at me he goes Herbie knows that stuff <laughs> and I go I just like laugh I'm just like man <laughs> I'm sure he does you know <laughs> yeah I, I, mean, I mean, okay, so, right, you know, uh, it's already big shoes to fill just to jump into that gig. Danilo had, car- you know, carved out such a personality for that right. piano chair. Yeah. But you have to think about Wayne in terms of, like, Herbie is like the ultimate piano chair, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Wayne, right? You know, what Herbie and Wayne do is on another, another level right. entirely. Right, whole
0: other planet, yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> but that's, that's what he's used to. So he comes up to me right before we start the, the gig, and he goes, zero gravity you know, whispers zero gravity. <laughs> it's interesting. I was talking about this with my, my class the other day and I said, mm. you know, I, I said where where we wanna get to, that, that place where you really feel that flow happening, you know, where, where, you know, I was talking about getting off the page, like not reading, but yeah. when, you, when you have music memorized and you're really just not thinking, but just, you know, you're just in that flow. Right. That, that magical place that you know that we get to once in a while that feels so amazing where there's just communication happening and it's telepathic and all that that's like where they those guys start (laughs) right (laughs) you know and it goes from there from there and you know it's 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 a cosmic thing so you know wow wow that's awesome
0: and you turned down miles davis
1: well, is that right? Or you sort, had the opportunity sort of. to? <laughs> I mean, that's what was thing. it like meeting my? I want to know what it was yeah, like. Yeah, I didn't really turn. It, I didn't really turn it down. It was just, I when I met him, I had just joined our Blakey's band. I'd only been in the in the Messengers for like two months, and that was my dream gig. Like I really right. wanted to be in that band so bad, and and it you know it, through some various channels and and maybe law of attraction type stuff, it happened, mm-hmm. um, but. And and then Al Foster had recommended me to Miles at the same time, so I went to meet Miles at, at Lincoln Center. He was playing at Lincoln Center, mm-hmm. and um, and he looks at me, and I I look nerdy now, but I'm, as an eighteen-year-old, I'm like fresh out of out of Wisconsin, fresh off the farm, as they right. say. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had like a really bad haircut, even worse than today, and I'm wearing like a like 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 you know n- nerdy glasses and like a like a london fog trench coat you know and i go up to miles like uh, hi mr davis i'm that piano player al foster told you about uh really nice to meet you and he looks at me and goes you look like you can't do nothing did you hear what i said <laughs> yeah yeah you look like you can't do nothing and i said uh and he's like come here and then he gives me a hug you know so i know i knew i was cool wow but, but um and, and then I, I went back to, it he invited me to come back to his place. He lived in the Essex house in, mm. in, on Central Park South. And he had a bunch of, his, his place was just absolutely was a little tiny, like a one bedroom apartment, but he, but he, um, His place was completely full of paintings. It was just, right. just floor to ceiling paintings, you know, paintings sitting on chairs on tables, all over everything. Wow. And, and, uh, yeah. And and he said something to me, because he knew I was playing with Art Blakey. And he really I think he really was interested in in getting me in his band. He said something to me that's struck me and, and it's it's gotten deeper and deeper over the years, more and more meaningful. He said, He said, You're too comfortable playing with Boo. Boo is the name that everyone called Art Blakey, you know, for Boo Hana. Yeah. Yeah. He said, You're too comfortable playing with Boo. He said, You should be in my band because the only way you're going to grow as a musician is if you're uncomfortable. Wow. And I said, wow. Cause you know, Miles was playing, he was playing funk. He was playing pop tunes and stuff. Right. And, and I think the reason, the main reason, well, other than the fact that I had just gotten my, you know, the gig, the gig I really <laughs> wanted to have with, <laughs> Your dream with Blakey gig. was, was that as, Awesome as it would have been to play with Miles, and I mean it would have been incredible to be able to be on stage with Miles. And, and but the music he was playing at the time wasn't really what I wanted to do. You yeah. know, the the keyboard role at that point had been relegated to pretty much just playing playing the parts off the records. And yeah. I think the I think the keyboard player got maybe one solo a night.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Akagi was playing piano, playing keyboards. You know, beautiful. You know, piano right. player um but i was like man he only gets one solo a night you know <laughs> and with blakey i got to really play like every time right. you know yeah so i just thought god it's, it's how can how do you say no to miles but it was just like but if it had been the miles band from even like eight years before or six right. years before like if it was that band with like with like scofield or mike stern and marcus miller and those cats if i was <laughs> the age where i could have been in that band Ooh, like right. that no brainer like yeah sign right. me up right yeah did you
0: you did you play for him? Well you went over to his apartment, but it was just you guys were just chatting? He he had
1: a Rhodes in there. No, I didn't really no, I didn't really play. I don't, okay. I don't know. I was just curious if he was We up. watched the Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> that you, all this is on YouTube, it's verifiable. He was on he was on Arsenio like the day before and Okay and so he had he had taped it on his VCR, you know?
2: Nineteen eighty
1: nine, man. So so we watched like a VC, VHS for, you know of of him on Arsenio and it was interesting too cause I remember I sort of all the little quotes that he said that were really mm-hmm. you know kind of funnier yeah um, he says uh, cuz Kenny Garrett who's i mean killing incredible incredible one of the <laughs> greatest musicians living today Kenny was Kenny they were playing this tune called um, I think it was called Jojo <laughs> Like this, this go-go mm-hmm. tune in, in G, you know, one chord tune, and so right. um, Kenny was playing like a lot of B flats. He was kind of laying on like, you know, he's kind of doing some Maceo Parker type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, laying on that flat at third, and Miles goes, "Man, these kids today—they only play one note." <laughs> <laughs> he says, "He says you could use all 12 you know. That's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> these kids today. These yeah. kids today. Yeah,
0: this from the guy who could just go da da da.
1: Right, Play but he's one. talking about you know. Yeah. We're playing. We're playing a vamp. We're playing a one chord vamp, but you can still chromatically. You can still use all all twelve notes. You know. Sure. Any way yeah. you want.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that has that become sort of a a guide for you? This make putting yourself in uncomfortable situations as a musician.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I didn't, you know, I kind of thought, oh, that's sort of interesting, you know, when, as, as an 18 year old kid hearing that, but as I've gotten older and it made me think that may have been a, a, a big part of Miles's own, uh, philosophy for his own bands, you know, right. that he put himself in. Cause it seems like every time he got used to something, he would fire the band and get a new one. Right. You know, and you can definitely hear in the seventies, you know as as cool as that music is a lot of it you can hear that he's just like really searching to try to figure out what find its way through that stuff you know right. yeah because sometimes it would be just chaos just electric <laughs> chaos and you're going and he's trying to find his way through it and you know what I mean mm-hmm and and it's I feel like that's that was maybe his you know his motto but it also applies to to life right I realize yeah. you know you get in a situation where you're socially where you're in a room full of Trumpers or some, hopefully you're never in an entire room full of Trumpers, but there might be one in the room. (laughs) Right. You know, and you go, okay, how do I, but this might be the cat that paid for the concert hall you're playing in tonight. So you have to be nice and at least hear them out. Even if you, you know, emphatically disagree with every single thing the person is saying, you know, but it's kind of like, maybe there's a chance for personal growth here. Maybe you can learn to just be more tolerant if nothing else, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, for me, I try to put myself in musical situations that aren't necessarily uncomfortable, but would at least be an opportunity for something different, which is why I made this record with Shedrick. You know, it's like I've never done anything Mm -hmm. with Oregon before. And I know, I know there's going to be challenges in terms of who's grabbing the harmony, who's, who's filling up what part of the space and all that kind of stuff. But you know, because we get along personally, we're friends, you know, we're going to play music that way too. You yeah. know, like, okay, we're just, you know, it's, it's sitting around a table having a barbecue with your buddies, you know, <laughs> just be like, let's, okay, okay, you tell a story now. Hey, I got a story yeah. too. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and 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 you can comment like, oh yeah, yeah no kidding, right? You know, the, the commentary you make in the middle is like the notes you play in the middle right. of someone when it's, you know, someone else is playing. It's a conversation. I yeah. That.
0: Here's Jeffrey playing... His rendition of Thelonious Monk's Brilliant Corners. ¶¶ rollins just had a birthday
1: and he have you played with (laughs) sunny one time i I auditioned for sunny okay bob cranshaw was a bass player and and i knew bob had been playing with him a little bit so he said man you know you should come come to this rehearsal we're doing sonny wants to hear you so i showed up at sir studios and and bob was there on bass and the percussionist victor Siun was playing Mm -hmm. congas and, and Clifton Anderson was playing trombone and it was just, just the four of us. One, two, three, five of us. Yeah. I can't, I can't count. But anyway, (laughs) Sonny just, uh, he just started playing and we played for three hours nonstop without, without him saying a word and he just went from one tune to another, to another. And we played a bunch of standards. We played a bunch of his tunes that I made sure that I knew, Mm -hmm. you know, in advance of the rehearsal, some of his calypsos, there was one All called right. "Don't Don't Stop the Carnival." Oh, you know that one. It's kind of like St. Thomas, one. but not. Yeah. <laughs> How fun! And uh, and and he played Nature Boy. I remember playing Nature Boy, rubato, like almost like a Coltrane. Mm-hmm. You know. like, like a rolling floating thing. Right. And it was, it was super, super cool. And I, you know, obviously I didn't get the gig, but it what was, an you know, it was incredible just to, just to play with him. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Is there any, like who, who's left on your list that like, I would love to play with this uh,
1: person? Terry Lynn Carrington she's on my bucket list we have believe it or not never played together we've been on the same festivals the same concerts the same panel discussions the same faculties (laughs) we're like around each other but we've never actually played a note together so i would love to Mm. um ron carter we have played together a few times but he's still a bucket list like i want to play with him more right (laughs) (laughs) Um, more please yeah, yeah, and uh, I think it'd be fun to play with Paul McCartney, actually. I'd really oh. like to work with him. Yeah. You know. Um, that would be fun.
0: There's probably have a you few ever others. Met, have you ever met Paul?
1: No, never did. Okay. Would like to. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Cool. There's probably a few others I'm not thinking of right now, but... Uh, I, I really wanted to play with Prince. Prince... Obviously, I didn't get I didn't get a chance to. Never got to meet him. Never got to see him play. Mm. Never saw him play live, man. I can't believe it. You know. Yeah. But he was either. definitely. He was like, you know, man, I just love to be able to play with Prince. Or yeah. Record with him or something. You know.
0: Such a creative powerhouse. Yeah. Very cool. So, what is um, what does your practicing look like these days? Like, what do you? have like a regular routine or are you a project oriented practicer? Like how, how does uh, it work for you?
1: Yeah, I would say project oriented. Um, if you know, if I'm lucky enough, I mean, I'm, I've got, I don't know, I've got this Claire Fisher exercise book, which is fantastic. Hmm. It's, it's they're, they're piano exercises, but they're really, they're super musical, you know? I mean, Claire mm-hmm. is like what an incredible piano player and right. composer he was. Um, so they're, you know, they're exercises, but they sound like music when you play them, you know, mm-hmm. um, those are really good. I, a lot of times I just try to keep my chops up cause I'm not, I'm not, I'm not touring. So I don't right. have that, that luxury of just showing up to work every night and like the, you know, kind of practicing on the gig. Working out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just trying to stay in game shape really.
0: And what do you do to do that?
1: Um, you know, you just exercises, playing through tunes I get together with my wife, who's Jillian Margot. She's a she's a mm-hmm. vocalist, um, and we go through tunes. Mm-hmm. You know, we just open up books like you know this Dick Hyman, all the Right Changes book I've got here. You know, like let's just pick a tune. Let's let's play something. You know, mm-hmm. go through. You know, we've got song, Gershwin songbooks and Harold Arlen and 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 Cole Porter, and you know, or we just we you know let's learn this let's learn this bird tune this week. Let's you know we right kind of spur each other on to learn music and um i learned a lot from my students honestly richard fennyman the scientist he, he said if you if you want to learn anything teach it right this <laughs> is really true the more mm. i teach the more i learn yeah you know because they'll come in with like have you heard this record like no <laughs> how how did i miss that record but you know it's like man this yeah. mary lou williams thing is killing have you heard this you know have you heard this uh you know Mm-hmm. The st- just whatever you know willie the lion smith like, like i haven't heard that willie the lion smith that's incredible you know what i mean so you, yeah. you learn you learn stuff all the time and the, and then uh you know tunes they bring in standards sometimes i've never never thought of never heard of never right. had occasion to learn or play before you know mm-hmm. it's great yeah
0: Do you it sounds like you really enjoy teaching a lot
1: yeah it's it's cool it's cool because I I have some students that are really really advanced. You just go in there, and you're like, and we we play duets. We play a lot of duets. We don't do mm-hmm. a lot of talking about. We just we just play. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a couple students that are much more beginners, and that's kind of fun too because you can hopefully get them started, get them off on the right foot. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Like wow, you've never heard of Charlie Parker? Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Let me, you know.
0: Yeah, let me introduce you.
1: Yeah. You know, what County, what recording
0: okay? would you give what Charlie Parker recording would you use to introduce someone to him?
1: You know, um I don't know if which one would be officially the definitive one, but I mean, I I love the 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 Massey Hall record with Dizzy and Max Roach and Bud Powell and Mingus. Bird plays the solo he plays on Perdido on that record is just absolutely gorgeous you know it's just so full of melody and beauty and blues just everything bird uh, everything bird played was drenched in the blues Mm -hmm. you know people focus on only just the chromaticism and the bebop vocabulary but there's so much more to his playing than that there's so much blues there's so much just pure melody that's got nothing to do with chromatic Sur- sur- enclosures or whatever the hell right,
0: surrounding tones and all who that who cares,
1: right? yeah <laughs> those are incidental, you know yeah, yeah Louis Armstrong was doing that stuff, Johnny Hodges was doing that stuff you know, 20 years before it's not and it's not that he didn't develop it to the highest degree it was it's just <laughs> like there's so much more to it than that, you know yeah, yeah Yeah. I love the album with strings, that's like probably one of my favorites Third with strings, yeah you know, and yeah. of course all this all the Savoy stuff, all yeah. you know, the the master takes and all that stuff.
0: Um, tell me about your writing process. Like when you sit down to when when you sit down to write, do you is it melody first? Is it bass line? Is it a mixture? Or do you like how do you how do you come up with the initial gem of an idea? Yeah. Do you keep a notebook of ideas? Like how does it work?
1: No, I've just got loose scraps of paper floating all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It depends on the tune. Some tunes start with a bass line, some start with chords, some start with a Mm -hmm. melody. I don't know. Tunes that start with melodies tend to be tunes that I kind of hear in my head when I'm not sitting at the piano, you know, out for a walk or doing something, doing the dishes, you know, Mm -hmm. something you dream, maybe... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah you hear it those are melodies and the, and then you know the, the the chordal thing things that start with voicings and chords are usually things that get generated while sitting at the piano because your your hands find some kind of shape you know mm-hmm. and you go you go huh you know what, what I kind of, uh, that might absolutely suck or it might turn into <laughs> a tune i don't know but that's you know the thing is you just find stuff yeah yeah. Um, you know, in bass lines. I mean, it, it really depends. Sometimes you, it starts with a rhythm, like a rhythmic yeah. idea. Okay.
0: Do you write regularly? Do you like? Do you try to write uh, consistently, or just again project based?
1: Not as much as I wish I had time for, uh, or made time for. I just uh, I'm doing a lot of arranging for other mm-hmm. people right now. I'm working on a big band chart for Kurt Elling. Oh, fun. So that takes up, you know, time. There's commercial writing, like I do string charts for, you know, pop stuff and things like that. So there, there's, you know, that takes up a lot of my writing time, kind of writing for hire. But yeah, um, you know, making this record I just made. Uh, it was it was a good excuse to sit down and write some new music, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to yeah. come up with something. Yeah. Do you have a,
0: a favorite of the three a per- performing teaching? Writing,
1: performing still, yeah, yeah. Um, teaching, teaching I enjoy. I I I wouldn't say that teaching is my like my life's passion. Mm-hmm. I I like doing it, and and I've 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 found because I, I haven't done. I mean I've I've always taught privately, off and on. People come to me for lessons, and I do the occasional master class or visiting artist kind of thing. Yeah. I've only started teaching uh, consistently, like to university students in the last couple of years. So that's, um, I, I found in doing it that I love doing it. Oh, I didn't awesome. know going into it if I was going to really dig it, but I've, <laughs> yeah. I've found that I do actually really enjoy it. And, um, I can bring that kind of energy. And you know, it's, it's, it's like, it takes a little bit of the pressure off the hustle all the time sure. for gigs and, let them let them do that we're we're training another generation of musicians so they can you know yeah they can schlep a little bit more right but, um it's it's cool uh but to me nothing beats getting up on stage and playing yeah. playing with some with a great band man that's sure that's still still number one
0: cool do you have uh gigs lined up you got some stuff coming this fall
1: A handful of things. Um, I got a couple gigs with David Sanborn coming up. Um, A few things of my own here in town, in town in in New York.
0: The Sanborn gig, is that like a quintet, a quartet? What's the band?
1: He has an electric band and an an acoustic band. So the acoustic band is usually a quintet, sometimes quartet. Uh, He usually uses trombone. If he uses another horn, he uses trombone. Oh. Either, either Michael D's or Wycliffe Gordon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then he's got an electric band that he does, depending on the 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 audience and the market. Sometimes, <laughs> if it's more of a smooth jazz market, he'll he'll sure. pull out the electric stuff. It's fun. I mean, I grew up on that stuff. You yeah, know? that was like playing, the yeah. first
0: jazz album I bought was As We Speak. Yeah, I think
1: I I had a band in in high school that played all that stuff. You know. <laughs> So again, it was like fun, like get, getting to play those tunes with Dave. Is you know, I yeah. feel like he, he he really could take it or leave it. He'd really prefer to 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 play the the acoustic stuff, but yeah, you know, he does it. And and when you hear him play that stuff, you're just like, that's the sound. That's him. You know, yeah, it's an iconic yeah. sound.
0: Who's the rhythm section with him? Who, who, who that you're playing with?
1: Uh, Billy Kilson is the drummer. Usually for both. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bassist for the acoustic band has been Ben Williams, mainly. Um, occasionally, Bob DeBoo, bassist from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, the electric band kind of fluctuates. But, yeah it's, yeah, it's fun. fun gig.
0: He seems like a really fun, cool person. Yeah. I mean, I've never met him, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's super cool.
0: So you've got some Sandmore and stuff coming up. What else? Any other gigs?
1: Uh, I mentioned I'm playing, for those of you listening in New York, I'm playing Mesro, uh, October 29th and 30th. The 29th is with the saxophonist Nicole Glover and Sylvia Cuenca on drums. And then the 30th is a duo with Joe Locke. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just looking through my calendar here. Uh, what else do I have coming? I mean, you know, you can go to my website. My Yeah, yeah. My, my tour, I've got the sort of COVID tour dates page, which is pretty <laughs> scant right now, but... But you know, it's yeah. on there. Whatever, whatever's happening is on there. Right. And then, what other stuff
0: are you working on? Do you have some other recording projects, either your own or other people's.
1: Um, not right now. Just, just finishing up this record I just did uh, with with Shedrick Mitchell and those guys. Um, gonna probably be adding some strings and some other fun stuff to it. I don't know. I. I usually, what happens to, with me in the studio is I, I go into the studio with the intention of it just being like a simple blowing date. Well, let's just go on and just do some tunes, just have some fun. And then, and then I get produceritis. you know? Like, well, these two <laughs> tunes really need percussion. Well, these really need some strings. Well, what if I did this, you know? Right. And it, everything turns into a big deal, but that's just, I can't help it, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you listen a lot? Are you a big uh, consumer of music?
1: I listen when I'm commuting to work yeah okay yeah anything i i I try to keep up with with everything that's happening i try to keep up with all the young musicians and 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 old stuff that i've missed the first time around and stuff also that i just listen to that i've always listened to that i still love i mean it's Mm -hmm. you know yeah but i really do try to keep up that that's that's important to me is knowing who's out there and what's happening
0: yeah anybody in particular that has grabbed your ear recently
1: Oh, I'm like looking on my phone. What's in yeah, my library? <laughs> uh, I'm really digging Nate Smith's new record. Mm. Nate Smith's doing some cool stuff. Um, yeah, Nicole Nicole Glover amazing. She's like ridiculous shredder, tenor sax mm. shredder. You know, That's really sad. coming out of Nuke, coming out of Nuke, and and mm-hmm. and 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 train, and all that great stuff. But she's got her own. You know. Got her own thing. Um, checking out Artemis. Uh, Jen Jen Shu is interesting. Hmm. Derek Hodge's record. Um, Michael Mayo's got a nice record out. His new record. Very cool. Um, what else am I listening to? But I'm. But I'll just. I'll just. Just assume. Like you know. Listen to a Herbie record from the seventies, or just you know, anything you know.
0: Yeah, and Herbie's out on tour right now. They just started a yeah
1: uh, tour. Good well, for him. last
0: yeah last year they were going supposedly gonna do it. It was his, I think it was his eightieth.
1: Yeah, let me year. say this to the to the listeners, especially the young listeners, if there are any young listeners, <laughs> uh, I hope there are. Um, go out and spend the money and see. Herbie Hancock and people like him, well, you can. Because they're not going to be around forever. And Herbie, man, he's 80 years old. He's still playing at the top of his game, mm-hmm. you know? You're not just going out and seeing something that's like a, you know, a, a legacy act or someone who's just, dude, Herbie is killing right now. <laughs> and he's playing music that's still like very much cutting edge, forward-looking music. Um If you have a chance to go see, I mean, shoot, we just lost Chick. I can't even, he's like, yeah, there's not a whole lot of them left. But I mean, if you have a chance to see anybody like that, go, 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 spend the money. Yeah. Don't just sit back in your dorm room watching YouTube, (laughs) you know? Yeah, there's something. Go out and listen to live music because there's nothing, nothing compares. It's not the same on video or on record, you know?
0: Yeah. I was just talking to James Genus about this, about like, there's a feeling, there's a felt sense you get in person that's really important uh, because when you have your own band, that's where you tune to. You can tune to that same feeling that you got when you were listening to Herbie or Wayne or Sonny or whoever at playing at such a high level and you get the you get a sensation in your body for the groove, for the feel, for whatever. And that's a rudder you can use for your own playing, for your own groups, and you can't get it necessarily from a recording.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I mean this music was always played live, it was meant to be <laughs> played and experienced live, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean I mean I mean we have the records, we have the records of, of the stuff that went down in the early history of the music. But, you know, they, recording wasn't really a common thing yet. So imagine, like, we, we're missing probably 95% of the stuff that actually happened. Like, right. what did it really sound like? <laughs> what did it feel like to be in a room? You know, yeah. you can listen You can listen to Louis Armstrong's Hot Fives and, you know, their old scratchy recordings and, and tinny sounding and, you know, and everything. But you, you the energy just just comes just like, just, I mean, like if, if it was a, like, like a needle, the needles just, it just jumps right off the record. Yeah. You can you can just feel the energy and can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the room with those cats? <laughs> like Crazy. having, having a drink or dancing to it or something and just going, I mean, that would have been unbelievable. You know, yeah. we have this little kind of ghostly vestige of what it sounded like, but I mean, dude, you know get yeah. out get out and hear if you can if it's safe to do it if you're yeah. if you're vaccinated and you can mask up and get into a venue go yeah. you know yeah
0: yeah and hope right. that hope that live music you know just surges back as soon as possible for not just for the artist's sake but for our community's sake as well because it's yeah. so important absolutely awesome all right, well, Steve, Je- well, I probably Jeffrey, heard her jump. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's great talking with you. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Jeffrey.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Hey there, just a couple more things before you head on to your day. If you'd like to learn more about Jeffrey Keezer, you can check out his website JeffreyKeezer.com. that's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-K-E-E-Z-E-R.com you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at 88 that's 88 Kieser and you can also check him out on YouTube he's got a really great YouTube channel with lots of cool videos and other great stuff that you want to check out Head over to the website of The Playful Musician. You can hear past episodes and you can hear other interviews and just kind of check out the site. It's pretty cool. All right, everybody, take care. Have a great few weeks, and we'll see you back here real soon.